from Zamo Digital, welcome to the SaaS Marketing Superstars Podcast with your host, Aaron Sikowski. This is the show where we uncover proven growth strategies from CMOs and marketing leaders behind some of the fastest growing SaaS companies. Hey, Superstars. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Aaron Zikowski, and today I'm chatting with Guillaume Mubesh. Guillaume is the CEO of Lemlist, a personalized sales automation and cold email software. Guillaume has bootstrapped Lemlist from zero to $10 million ARR in less than four years and has even refused a $30 million funding offer. Hey, Guillaume, how are you doing today? I'm great, Aaron. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, for sure. It's great to have you on. So, so first of all, your friends all call you G, right? So we're going we're gonna to yeah. go with that. Right? <laughs> That's easier okay. for everyone. <laughs> Perfect. Um, first of all, we'd love to just hear a little bit more about, about you personally and also about Lemlist as a company. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, uh, I'm G. Um, initially, I'm a, a chemical engineer, which has nothing to do with, uh, with the SaaS world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had like a, a passion for marketing. So I started like um, an agency back in the days where I was helping people doing sales prospecting. And after using all the tools on the market, I felt like uh, we needed more personalization. And this is when I decided to actually like uh, start Lemlist, which is a sales automation platform, as you said, that helps essentially people get in touch with their customers and start conversations so they can build profitable businesses together. Very nice. And, and just briefly, you know, what differentiates your tool from some of the others on the market? So we have like several things, but uh, the first thing is really like the multi-channel part that you can do automatically on email, LinkedIn, et cetera. And then it's the personalization part, meaning that you can add videos, personalized images, et cetera, that allows you to get more replies whenever you're doing your outreach. Nice. And, uh, and from what I understand, the company's grown tremendously in the last four years since you started it. I've, I've heard you speak on, on a couple of the podcasts like Nathan Latka and uh, Tom Hunt and a few others. Um, and I know you, you know, every time I hear you, you've hit another milestone in revenue, which is, which is incredible. Um, <laughs> where, where are you guys at now? And tell us a little bit about the journey. Yes. Yeah, so we started the company with uh, $1,000 mm-hmm. and uh, we became profitable very quickly. And since then, we stayed bootstrapped. And right now we're at $10 million in annual recurring revenue. Uh, and the goal is uh, for end of 22 to be uh, end of 2022. Sorry, to be at uh, at 30 million. So to do times three again. Wow. <laughs> so that's uh, that's quite challenging, but uh, but it's really really exciting. Wow. Um, so so tell us a little bit like what's been the process. I mean, to, to go from a thousand dollars initial investment. Um, I'm assuming you said you're an engineer, so so maybe you did some of the coding yourself, because or you know, uh, no, how, how did you actually, do that <laughs> yeah. So I was not alone. <laughs> That's okay. uh, the biggest, most important thing. Uh, I actually met like uh, two technical geniuses who were a bit older than me. So when mm-hmm. we started, they were around like 45 years old. Two brothers uh, that started to code when they were six, so they were really really talented. And I was handling like the business side of thing when they were handling the, the tech parts. Got it. And, um, and basically, like, um, I think what, what differentiated us from the start is first things first is we ate our own dog food. So because I knew how to do sales prospecting based on the agency I had, I was just doing that at first to acquire, mm-hmm. the, I would say, the first 100 users. On top of it, you know, when I were, whenever I was uh, doing sales prospecting, I was doing it a bit differently than most people. So most people will try to kind of like push down the product or service they're trying to sell. For me, it was more about networking and consulting calls. So I would reach out to people, tell them that I had, you know, like chat with uh, other successful founders, head of growth, et cetera, who had uh, put like outbound processes in place. And I would love, you know, to have a chat and see whatever we could share and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. During these calls, I would try to bring as much value as possible. And I would have two different options. 
Option one, I see that they are a fit for the product, so I try to sell them the product. Option two, they already use a competitor, they're happy with it. I would then ask, what are you struggling with right now? Uh, and they would say, for example, uh, deliverability. So my emails are not ending up in uh, the inbox, they are ending up in spam or something like reply rate. I'm not so good in copywriting. And from all these topics that I would get during our networking calls, I would actually create some really actionable content with long form articles where I would interview a lot of experts on the topic just to really write the best content possible and after that start sharing it to them. So the idea would be to really try to connect, build that relationship. And yep. then if people can't be customers because they're using a, a competitors and they're happy with it, I'm just going to keep providing them value with the things they're struggling with. And down the line, I know that potentially they would become customers later on. Nice. And so that, that content you're creating for them, is that kind of like customized specifically to them content or are you using the questions you've had in these, these sales conversations and just using that as a, as a seed to create content just for the greater community? Exactly. So the idea is to talk to your customers to understand what they're struggling with, take their question in the way <clears throat> they are actually phrasing it, and then based on that, push it to, to the entire community. But my distribution would be, for example, all the person I had chat with will struggle, for example, with deliverability. I would reach out to them with the article I wrote that would be on our blog, answering their exact questions uh, as they phrased it during our networking events. Uh -huh. So you've kind of making, taken the approach. If somebody has this problem, most likely a lot of people have this problem and therefore- Exactly. <laughs> Perfect, love it. Um, so you keep talking about community. Now, I, I've heard a little bit community is a, a big part of, of what you do. And, and I know you, you seem to be an incredible content creator. Can, can you talk a little bit how you got into that? Was that like a natural progression for you or? Yeah, so at first to be entirely transparent, no lies here is uh, we started having like a more and more support tickets. So people coming to the live chat and asking us questions. And at that time, I was the only one answering all questions. Mm -hmm. And as I started to see people asking the same questions over and over, I was like, okay, I'm going to create a group on Facebook where I can answer questions that everyone is having and everyone would see it. So they don't have to ask again, you know, on the support. So at first, the community or the Facebook group we created was really for support and mm -hmm. was for me to allow me to have less time, you know, talking on the chat so I could create content, do like a sales prospecting campaign and kind of run the business. So by doing that, I started to, to see people like uh, actually enjoying my answers. Uh, we were getting a better reach, etc. And then I was like, okay, there are more and more questions about how to use the product, how to get better results, etc. So I was like, every single week, I'm going to publish one article in the community. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to answer all questions people have. I will also publish something about a campaign that I launched where I detail which, um, what was the wording of the cold email that I sent, why did it work, what were the results, or why did it not work. But every week I would post this, and I started to do this for about six months. And then down the line, I started to see people answering questions before I could actually do it. And then, you know, this is when you see that the community starts working because after helping so many people, people started to help each other. And uh -huh. as they grew, some people became experts. So they are well-known in the community as experts. Some people build their agencies. So they have like, uh, they're running campaigns for one of our clients, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really like this kind of uh, beneficial and circle that everyone benefit from it. And it's been, uh, it's been working great. And now, right now we are like the, the biggest community around sales automation. And um, 
to be to answering your question about like differentiator, um, I mentioned two big things, but the truth is like the community became as we grew a big differentiator for two reasons. The first one was when you have a community, you, you kind of start to build a brand. So you differentiate from that. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, okay, how can we link the community to the tech part? So um, I realized that, you know, one of the, the biggest issues people face is the deliverability, meaning whether your email end up in the inbox. And to do so, you need to do what we call the warm up or the booster, meaning that a spammer, for example, is someone that sends messages at his spam and then is identified as spammer and all his email will end up in spam. But the truth is some people, when they start their uh, outbound process, are making a few mistakes and then end up in spam and then it's almost impossible for them to recover. So what we have decided to build is from our community because we know that the way they do sales prospecting is good just because our product limits the spammer and we block a lot of people that are trying to spamming, etc. So we have the highest quality. So we took our community and we built something unique, which is a sending algorithm that will send emails between each people which are part of this group, which is a mm -hmm. community. And yeah. whenever one of the emails end up in spam, we just mark it as not spam and we mark it as important. So it shows really good signals to email service provider and then it increases everyone's deliverability. And the fact that in our community, we have companies like Zendesk, SAP, up to really like small businesses were just started and mm -hmm. across like the globe means that we have like something very unique that no one can copy. So we leverage the community to actually build something technical that would differentiate us over time and also at the same time help our users get better results. That's really cool. So, so how does that work? Like a Chrome extension that people install and then it kind no, of... So, yeah, so basically, you know, whenever you connect to Lemlist, you need yeah. to connect your Google account. Uh, so we have access to your mailbox to send on your behalf, like the emails that you write uh, directly into Lemlist. Mm -hmm. The fact that we have access to this mailbox means that whenever you activate this deliverability booster called Lemworm, we will do that automatically for you. And for you, it's seamless. You don't see it. And it's just boost your deliverability. That's amazing. I mean, just thinking that, you know, not just is it not being spam, but the fact that it's not falling into that, that promo tab or anything like that within Gmail is so powerful. Exactly. That's super cool. Um, so, so tell me, go, going back to the Facebook community and, and all that for a moment, um, I guess the, the, the question is, you know, how much of your time did that take really? You know, it, it seems so, I've tried starting a group in the past, right? And, and I just found yeah. it, it's so <laughs> time consuming and there's constantly more, more, more content you have to be, you know, consistently be creating within there. Um, and it sounds like there was a certain point where that flipped where, where the community started creating content, but you know, how much time does it take for you and, and how much time did it take before that flipped the community kind of took over? Yeah. So at first I was, I was on there daily. So I would say that I spent, uh, including weekends and everything. So I was like spending maybe two hours on the community every day for, mm -hmm. uh, about like six months. Wow. So it's, uh, it was pretty, pretty intense. And then after that, I think I switched to maybe like one hour and a half, then one hour. And mm -hmm. then, you know, like step-by-step step, things got, uh, we hired someone to manage it like uh, fully. And now we have one dedicated person to the community because it's a, uh, uh, tens of thousands of people. So it's, uh, it's growing like uh, really fast. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of the content creation that you're doing, you know, you, you've been living and breathing this topic now for a couple of years now, obviously you're, you're a clear expert when it comes to, you know, email marketing and, and, and all of that. Are you able to outsource now to other people on your team, the creation of content or, or does the level of content that's required in order to really 
stay ahead of the game require that, that, that your expert mind is really the one that's always creating content. Cause I, I know for myself, that's, that's always a struggle, you know, where, where I'm the expert, it's hard to, hard to have other people write that top level content. How, how does that work for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good, uh, <laughs> it's a really good point. I feel like with the, within the years, I really like helped the team leveled up. Mm-hmm. And that's also because I created a lot of trainings around what we do. So we are selling like master classes where I really take the word, like I create the, the best content, but that's going to be paid content. Mm-hmm. And then my team from there can be trained and learn and see, at least get the mindset of, okay, if I want to create the best content, I need to be a practitioner and to be a practitioner, I need to use the product. So our marketing team is actually running a lot of campaigns to do networking calls to connect with people to do like tons of things so they understand the power of the tool and they can write about it and step by step by following the trainings that i'm selling and that to them is just like free training uh, they were capable to really level up and after some years really become like experts and then it's just about you know like really training people so they level up to to a place where they can actually write and be really good about it but within an entire team we have this uh, mindset of really doing actionable contents and helping everyone building their personal brand. Yeah. And to build their personal brand, they have to document everything they do. And I feel like the more you write, the more you put complex thoughts into something much more simple because it's in writing and at mm-hmm. least it's clearer. And getting clarity for people is something extremely useful. And that's what we try to push people. And uh, that's how we, we basically were able to really train everyone to to reach millions of views on LinkedIn by creating this personal brand and documenting whatever they were doing. Uh-huh. So, so, so you're investing in, in, in your, your team's brand. Like each one of the people on your team should have their own personal brand that, that's growing as well. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's actually something like I used to do that on my own at the very beginning. Yeah. And what I realized is that whenever you know I was uh, doing sales prospecting, I would add people that I want to connect with first. Then I would write, they would see my post for about three weeks. And after that three weeks time, I would put them in a campaign where they would receive an email, then a LinkedIn message, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I would realize that this campaign versus a normal one, so meaning just cold email, for example, would get between three to five X more replies. And I realized that's because it made sense, you know, like you're building relationship with people. If, if they've seen your posts in the past, they are much more likely to answer you know, like uh, your message, because they kind of know you, even though you've never met. And, 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 well, yes, yeah, sorry. So I was going to ask at the beginning of that, you, you, you said you, you're, you're getting them to see your posts before you've reached out to connect with them. Yeah. So how, how do you make sure that they see your post if you haven't connected with them as a follower on LinkedIn? So the, the LinkedIn algorithm works in a way that whenever you're connecting with someone, mm-hmm. you're much more likely to start seeing your posts. And the idea is at that time, I already had like a, a really good reach with my LinkedIn post. So mm-hmm. each of my posts gets between like 20 to 100 or 200K views, 200,000 views, which is basically like uh, 10 times uh, the size of my network. Mm-hmm. So essentially, like uh, I, I know that whenever, you know, like uh, I post, the people in my network will see it. And whenever you're posting like three to five days, three to five times, sorry, per week, you mm-hmm. know that after three weeks, the probability of the person to have seen at least one of your posts is really high. Uh-huh. Um, and, and to me, like that's actually like a great way like to connect. Or another thing that you can do is to actually take from the person that have commented or liked your post, 
you just like scrape this person, you find the one that are interested and that are not part of your first degree connection. And then you reach out to them, you add them, etc., as a connection. Mm-hmm. And your uh, reply rate is also like much higher. So by doing this and seeing that the results were actually really good, I was like, okay, it's, it's good, but it's just me. So we need to scale this. So when I hired like our head of growth and our head of sales, I really trained them to do the exact same thing. And our head of sales, which had done sales for a lot of time before, actually never had the such good results than by doing this. So she, she directly understood the power of it. So every time we hire someone, we started to kind of like push them to build their personal brand. And after that, because for salespeople, it was a bit difficult for them to uh, write and everything. We kind of paired people between marketing and sales in order mm-hmm. to boost their uh, social brand. They don't make it as a, as a game. So the marketing team and the sales team are actually working together. So we pair them. We have uh, what we call uh, LinkedIn buddies. So LinkedIn buddies are basically like uh, one person from marketing and one person in sales are working together to write their best posts. And the idea is each department has actually like a a goal. So at first, you know, like uh, I was building my personal brand really around sales. Uh, So it was, uh, so for example, very specific example, I would write a series of posts called cold email tips and each post would be numbered. So post number one, cold email tips, number one, et cetera, et cetera. And in this post, I would give a, a tip, for example, how to write the best subject line possible. And then I would detail it, make it super actionable. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a lot of time, which positioned me as a thought leader in sales. But as we grew, I was like, okay, my role, because in our target audience, obviously we have sales, but we also have head of growth. We also have founders. I was like, okay, because I'm the founder, I need to talk to founders because right now, you know, like I have my track record. Uh, I grew a company to 10 million. I sold another one, etc. So it's like I'm, founders know who I am and know I'm legit. So I can talk about these things. So I started to to give much more actionable advice and tips to founders. Founders, whenever they see what I write about and engage with the content, go to see my profile, then go to see them list and potentially become customers. The sales team is focused on sales. So they they really focus their content around giving tips about cold email, LinkedIn messages, how to do a sales calls, how to do demos, et cetera. So trying to build their audience around sales. Marketing does the same with marketing. So Every time they build something or every time they can share value, they try to do it. And my CTO, uh, so technical side, is doing this. But this time for him, it's not to do user acquisition, but it's to do hiring. So to hire the best tech talent, mm-hmm. they, they need to understand that is the best. And to understand that is the best, he needs to document it. And what I really like you know, to make the parallel with is, uh, you know, Marco Polo, right? The, mm-hmm. the explorer. So everyone thinks that Marco Polo was the one who discovered the Silk Road. Uh, But the truth is two things. One, Marco Polo was not an explorer. He was a merchant like every guy living in Sicily back in the days. Mm -hmm. And before him, actually, thousands of merchants has gone through the Silk Road. But the truth is that Marco Polo was the first one to actually document it. And to me, it's exactly the same thing, you know, with uh, building your personal brand. Some people will say that whatever you're doing, yeah, it's easy. I've been doing that. I've done it. I know that already. But for a lot of people, it's actually something new that they've never heard of. And the fact that you're documenting it means that you're providing value to a lot. And for our tech team, 
a lot of them have seen my CTO content, etc., before joining. And now, because you know they were fascinated because how about how he was doing things, we have like zero churn rates in terms of employee in our tech team, which wow. means that and and we've been there for four years. So it's like usually in tech companies you have people leaving after like a year or whatever. For us, they don't, especially on the tech department, because they enjoy working there. They have like this. Uh, this always like big challenge, etc. So it has plenty of benefit to do it on every kind of part of your company. Wow, you just said so much. I got so many questions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, people are going to get a lot of value out of this. Uh, I mean, I guess the, the, the first question, I, you, you, you've, you've got a very clear system here that you just kind of outlined. Um, talking about documentation, have you documented this system in some place publicly that other people can kind of mimic what you've built there? Hmm. It's um, I think so because I'd like to read more about it and think about it for my team, and I know some of my clients would love to hear more about it. I'm I'm trying to think it through, and uh, and I think yes, to be honest, because to me it's like every the the good thing with uh, documenting everything is that every single story is unique. You know, like the even though we we could have started the company at the exact same time, growing to 10 million in AR at the exact same time, your story and my story. Is very different right and and i feel like your learnings are going to be different from others the way you're going to frame things is going to be different and and i think this is the beauty you know of every human being on earth like we're all different and the truth is the way we tell stories the way we tell like uh, what's happening to us is is just so unique that you can actually connect even with the same story but tell in two different ways you will connect with different audiences so to me it's just this uh, What's really, really important is to kind of like make it as a game so it's easy for you to go out of your comfort zone. So a lot of people, for example, when they join Lemlist, they, when we onboard like new employees, they are like, I will never post on LinkedIn. And we're like, yeah, but it's part of the onboarding process. You can either talk about how the onboarding is going, what you're doing. And some people even wrote posts about like, hey, I joined Lemlist. I was kind of forced to do this LinkedIn post. So please like help me support. And then, you know, like, some people comment, it becomes fun. And then as soon as it becomes a game, you, you start people like writing and documenting. And, and I feel like if you post for about like two months, let's mm -hmm. say like three to five times per week, you're going to enjoy it a lot because yeah. writing gives you a lot of clarity. Uh, you have all these thoughts, everything, everything. If you are forced to write about a certain topic, you're going to have to write. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I have to. So if I have to, my brain will not be lazy and will actually produce something. And then it forces you to reflect on your own action. And whenever you reflect on your own action, you realize two things. One, all the great things that you've accomplished, which is always like something positive. And two, all the things that you did wrong. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, I write these long-form articles where I realize that, you know, I've done so many mistakes when it comes to hiring, management, etc. along the way. And now it's good because for me, it's a huge source of content. It's a great way to document my mistakes, tell to people, okay, it's not because we are hyper growing that we're like superstar, we're humans. We're like, uh, sometimes, you know, like shit hit the fan. Sometimes we're doing like things that don't make any sense. And from that, once you document your mistakes, people first connect with you much better as a human being because they see that you are also vulnerable, which I think is important. On your end, because you're documenting your mistakes, you're never going to make this mistake ever again because now you have found a solution not to repeat that mistake. 
And again, you think about the future and it gives you clarity to all the things you want to accomplish. And once you have like uh, people working with you, having this kind of like mindset shift, it changes everything. And to me, it's really scalable. It's just a matter of putting it as a KPI, so key performance indicators for your team. So for example, for our sales team, they had two posts about like three posts every single week. And, wow. and that was part of their KPI. Like uh, I, I would rather have them post three times per week and get a bit less meeting at first yeah. rather than focus on meeting books just because I know that in the long run, it will pay off. Uh-huh. And so you, you create frameworks for what to write about, training them how to write, all that through the process, training them how to be good at LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. So we have even actually like uh, we created a masterclass about LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. all the masterclasses that I create, uh, whenever people join the company, they are onboarding on the masterclasses. So they have the LinkedIn masterclasses where they have to write daily posts based on what they learn. Mm-hmm. And then they have the masterclasses about email outreach, which allows them to launch no matter like which department they're in. Whenever they join the company, they have to launch outreach campaign to do networking. And what was really funny is uh, I remember we hired someone in marketing that had never done sales for them. Sales was like, eh, you know, sales. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to contact people that don't know about me, etc. Like they were a bit scared. And during this process, I told them like, right now you have to launch a campaign. Just reach out to 20 to 50 people you'd like to meet. I explained them how to reach out, how to personalize, etc. Uh-huh. And we started to have like, uh, it was actually quite funny because we onboarded one salesperson who had a lot of sales experience and one person in marketing at the same time. They went through the same onboarding process. The salesperson wanted to be a bit more pushy in his approach. The marketing was very shy and she just wanted to network. In the end, she closed after one month more deals than the guy in sales. Nice. <laughs> so, so then, you know, like everyone like kind of, rework their approach towards something more linked to networking and bringing value. And this really saw the benefit of it. Is this masterclass you built something that's used only for internal purposes or do you make it open to the public as well? Do other people no, know? so that's, that's something we, we actually launched. So uh, for example, the, the email outreach um, masterclass, we, we launched it during a webinar and in one hour we made $100,000 in sales without wow. any advertising. So it was just a webinar. We wanted to test it. And the idea, at first, I wanted to make this like really internally, but then I was like, okay, more people could benefit from it. And on top of it, it's also a great source of acquisition for our product. Mm -hmm. So I I started to do this and uh, I did the same for LinkedIn. Now I'm building like multi-channel and after that agency. So uh, basically it's like uh, the things that we will push because in terms of acquisition, it's actually great to push towards very actionable content for people. So they pay for it. So you know that if they pay that for them, you know, they are committed. And then within the masterclass, if you show them the product that they need to use, they would use it. And for us, this is our real business model. So we can spend more on acquiring customers to the masterclass and then, you know, like go from there. That's amazing. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I think as soon as we end this call, I'm going to be jumping over to find that masterclass on LinkedIn (laughs) for how to train up my team. And and, because it seems like it's such a great growth engine. Um, just creating content, you know, I know from my experience, you know, creating content has always been probably the, the, the largest growth lever is my agency. Um, and yet I don't do it consistently enough and I don't leverage my team. Um, and, and it's interesting. One of the reasons I think maybe I haven't asked my team to share as much content on behalf of the company is maybe this, this fear, as, as silly as it might be, and as much as I probably know it's wrong, that if you build up people's personal brand, it creates the opportunity for them to leave you, right? And it sounds yeah. like what you've been saying is it's actually the opposite. 
Like you're building yeah. them up and, and putting them on a pedestal so much within the company that they never want to leave. Is, is that yeah, the case? exactly. And and it's it's really funny that uh, that you're saying that because for me, I had the exact same belief as you did. You know, at first I was like, you know, there is a bit of ego also. It's like, yeah, what if you know they write like much better content than you and they become like so popular on LinkedIn, etc., yeah. etc. Et and the truth is, in full transparency, yes, it happens. Meaning that people will get job offers from competitors. They will get like, but the truth is if you help them build that personal brand and build their audience and, you know, like grow, you know, as a person and put them on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. they will stay because they're happy with you, you know, like you treat them well and, and, and that's it, you know? And, uh, and for me, it's, it's really the most important part. And uh, really for me, it was a false belief, but uh, I understand this kind of like fear and, What is good is like when people fear something, it means that it's an easy competitive advantage to have. No one else is doing it because they all fear about it. So if you start doing it, yeah. you, you will be one of the only one to do it. And it makes you different from every right. other company. And I'd imagine a situation where somebody actually does move on and, and, and leave the company, go on to their, their next adventure. They'll probably still think so highly of you that they'll still be posting you and building you up from another company. Yeah, of course. Exactly. And then, you know, like uh, it's part of life, like, you know, whenever someone joins your company, down the line, if they want to launch their own company, it's awesome. If they want to yeah. switch company because if they think that there is a better fit for them, then fine. You know, like it's uh, life is part of meetings, is part of, you know, like uh, building like new stories somewhere else. So to me, I, I, I think it's just beneficial overall. But yeah. And it probably helps with recruiting as well. Once people see that their careers really, really grow, they'd want to come work for you. Yeah, definitely. If, if you see that, you know, everyone who joined the company, like, I don't know, grew their LinkedIn profile and personal brand by 10 or 100x, mm-hmm. obviously, you're going to have a lot of people who are, who are going to be willing to join. Yeah. Um, wow, that's, that's amazing. I got a lot to think about on that one. Um, <laughs> um, ch- changing directions a, a little bit. You know, one thing in our, in our earlier conversations, you, you, you mentioned, you know, funding that you've gotten to, to 10 million ARR bootstrapped, which is incredible. And not only have you bootstrapped it, but you've turned down major funding offers. Just yeah. tell us a little bit about the, the, the thought process there. Why have you made these decisions and, and kind of what's your plan for going forward? So um, to be honest, it was uh, the turning down like the 30 million came from a, a conversation I had with uh, Nathan Latka. Uh-huh. So I, I, it was basically like telling me, yeah, you're bootstrapped, super profitable, growing like crazy. You have no reason to take on fundings. And then joking, I said, uh yeah um, the only reason would be for me to uh just get you know funding in order to get an article in TechCrunch, and then we <laughs> laughed and then he told me like uh, well to do so you just have to ask a vc to give you like uh, a term sheet and then send it to uh TechCrunch and say i'm gonna turn it down and they will write a piece about That's a that story <laughs> yeah and nathan is really good with stories so it made me laugh but after that you know i thought about it and i was like it's actually, it, it, it looks like a legit idea and, and it's interesting. So what I decided to do is document everything uh, and say, okay, we're going to fundraise because I had my YouTube channel. So I wanted to help people for everyone who's fundraising to understand how it works. Mm-hmm. I documented the entire process and I knew internally that if I would receive some offers, I would turn them down, but I didn't know whether or not we would receive offers. And once we started to receive offers, it got a bit out of control. So a lot of FOMO from VCs were seeing for the first time an entrepreneur documenting all his fundraising. So they all wanted to be in. Uh-huh. And then after receiving all these offers, we were like, okay, we're just going to turn them down to show one message is 
you can be successful without having to fundraise and you can be in hyper growth without having to fundraise. Bootstrapped companies should get more PR, should get more press because we often associate the amount of money that you get to the success. And to me, it's an issue because the truth is like people think that both, for example, people think that to get really, really rich, you need to raise a lot of funds, which is actually the opposite. Like people who are fundraising a lot often don't get a lot of money at the end. Uh, most of them actually fail. Whereas with a bootstrap and profitable business, first, you're much more wealthy. You don't have anyone to tell you how much you can pay yourself. It's your decision. You get dividends, which you never get whenever you are like uh, fundraising because the VCs never want you to take any dividends. Right. And then, you know, like uh, whenever you want to sell, you can sell because no one is uh, holding this, you know, like uh, or like forbidding you to sell. But there is so few like press article, et cetera, about it that I wanted to kind of like start the debate about like bootstrap versus funding. Even though I'm like a firm believer that for many companies getting like funding is amazing opportunity, it's great and it can really work well. I just wanted, you know, for all entrepreneurs out there to think that there are alternatives, that if they don't get VC money, it's fine. They can still build something. And for me, it was more about like sharing this message and, uh, and really showcasing to the world that you can do things differently, that you can be creative and that the VC money is not will not give you hyper growth, that you can have many ways to have hyper growth and it's not only linked to fundraising. Amazing. Wh where was it that you documented that journey? Uh, on, uh, on my YouTube channel. <laughs> YouTube channel, perfect. Yeah, um, yeah. Were there any other funding tools other than, than raising venture capital money that you used to help grow along the way? Was there any you know, large loans or anything like that to take no debt? No, no to be honest, uh, to be honest, zero uh zero like uh funding round or uh yeah. or like debt or anything it was just us being like profitable and yeah we were really lucky like from the early days that's amazing um wow <laughs> ton, of, uh, ton of things for me to think about i'm, I'm sure it's gonna be this, the same for everybody else um let's jump into our lightning round real quick i'm gonna ask you a couple quick questions and uh quick answers and and we'll, we'll wrap things up so first question is, uh, what book would you recommend for people to read right now? A business book, a fiction book? What do you recommend? Um, I, I really liked uh, Lost and Founder from uh, Ren Fishkin, just because it goes through really the ups and downs. It's easy to read, but you know it, uh, it answers one of the main pain of entrepreneurs to say, you're not alone. We, even though like, we see the big numbers, the hyper growth, et cetera, everyone goes through some tough shits and tough moments, mm -hmm. and uh, you're not alone, and this is important. Great. Um, what's your favorite marketing or productivity role right now, tool right now, other than your own? Uh, it's Notion. Notion, Notion is, uh, is just amazing. Like uh, I put all my processes in Notion. I put mm -hmm. my to-dos, I put my ideas, I put everything in there and it's really amazing. Awesome. And who's your favorite marketer or, or uh, business leader to be learning from right now? Um, <laughs> I... I don't really have like one favorite person, uh, but I like what uh, Arvid Kal is doing. Uh, yeah. I discovered him like recently. Um, and, and I think it's interesting because he's, uh, he has built like a, a software with his wife that he sold. Um, it, it's not like a hundred million dollar exit, et cetera, but he sold it for like a life-changing amount and is documenting everything he does. Right now, he's starting like building like NFT project, etc. And I kind of like because it's it's not huge, 
but it's uh, it's someone you know like uh, that you can really rely on and uh, all his stories are really personal and i yeah. like the way he's doing things i think it's uh, i think it's a great source of inspiration for everyone who wants to start to build in public uh, to watch uh, his content great i'm gonna have to check it out and last question is where's the best place for people to go to learn more about you uh, LinkedIn is the best way like they can connect and uh, even send message. I answer to every single message I receive on LinkedIn. All right. Perfect. Well, G, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for your time. Thanks a lot for having me, Aaron. The SaaS Marketing Superstars podcast is brought to you by Xamo Digital Marketing. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks again for tuning in and keep on growing your SaaS.